Hello, everybody. Uh, my name's Luke. I'm going to be reading Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become, have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives, uh, false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus, of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by, uh, whether by life or, or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two, the desire to depart and, to, um, and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all, um, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Here ends the reading. Well, it's great to be with you uh, this evening and to look at this just amazing passage. Uh, as we hear, uh, Paul kind of really kind of unburdened his heart to, to the Philippians. Uh, the word apostle, and Paul was an apostle, uh, means one sent with a message. It was a general term used not just in the Bible but outside the Bible to refer to envoys or delegates or ambassadors. And in the New Testament, it's used as kind of like a title, like a big A apostle for those personally, uh, personally commissioned by uh, Jesus to preach the gospel message. The gospel message is, that, uh, is the news that Jesus is Messiah and Lord. He was crucified and raised from the dead, and he's been appointed by God as king of the world. That's the message that Paul was sent with. Paul was a big A apostle. And in Acts chapter 9, Jesus says this to Ananias uh, about Paul. He says, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Paul was commissioned, he was sent. But listen to what Jesus says next. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, from the beginning, Jesus warns that representing him will involve suffering. Imagine uh, this was a job offer. A title, apostle. Key responsibility, preach the gospel. Key tasks, suffering. Would you apply for that job? 
And Paul really did suffer. He was pursued, he was persecuted, he was beaten many, many times, and he was betrayed. And now as he writes to the Philippians, he's writing from prison, facing the very real prospect of execution. Uh, you might not be kind of native to Aussie culture, but soon you'll find that Aussies love a good whinge. Well, the Apostle Paul actually had something to complain about, right? To grumble about. Yet he doesn't. He doesn't complain. He doesn't grumble. Indeed, he does the exact opposite. He rejoices. Did you pick up that in the reading? How much he was rejoicing. Well, why? How can you be joyful in a situation like his? Well, it really is a question of priorities. By the grace of God, Paul does not consider his own welfare as primary. To him, even his life is secondary. Because he's completely dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so because Paul's imprisonment is actually advancing the gospel, he rejoices. And because he's so confident that Christ will be exalted in his life and in his death, he rejoices. And this evening, God invites us to share that same attitude and mindset. Now, please uh, have your zooper duper if you're still uh, eating it in one hand. And uh, you can have your outline in the other. You'll find the reading there and just a bit of an outline. You can write notes on it too, if you'd like to. Have a look at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now you'd think Paul's first concern would be his own welfare, his future. But it's not, is it? His first concern is to assure the Philippians that even though he's in chains... The gospel is not. And it, it's striking. You see, Paul's imprisonment could have been, well, it really should have been a real setback for the gospel cause. Cut off the head and the body can't function, right? That's what they were trying to do with Paul. Put him in prison. Get him out of there. But under God's sovereign hand, the opposite actually happened. Paul's imprisonment actually served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, because of Paul's imprisonment, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Uh, Paul wasn't in prison because he was a thief or a murderer. He was in prison for Christ, in chains for Christ. Uh, Jesus told Paul, just as he told all his followers in the gospels, that this would happen Proclaim my name and you will suffer. They will treat you the same way they treated me. And we've heard tonight that the ministry of Christ involves suffering. Being all in with Jesus means being ready to stand firm in the face of injustice, of mockery, of hostility, even persecution. Are you ready? Are you ready to face that for Christ? I think the gospel is wonderful. I really do. 
But the announcement that Jesus is Lord won't be good news for everybody. It really depends on which side of the fence you sit on. Announcement. Rings of Power is airing on Amazon in September. You like for that? Against that? I'm certainly for that. I'm excited, but most of you, you might... I don't know. Taylor Swift is releasing a new album. Are you for that? Put your hands up. <laughs> don't be scared. Are you against that? Yeah. Reese, he's against it. Yeah, 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 come on. That announcement divides. The gospel we bear divides. It upends society. It speaks to those who peddle greed, who oppress the vulnerable, to governments who presume and usurp authority that belongs to God alone. The gospel says Jesus is in charge, not you. And his rule is one of love and justice and righteousness. And ultimately, you answer to him. The gospel means our things just can't stay as they are. I don't get to set my own moral compass. Christ does. And that's not always good news, is it? But if we are seeking God, if we're seeking his forgiveness, if we long for justice and peace and wholeness and salvation, the gospel is the best news ever. Paul was in chains for Christ. And that created opportunities. What are you in for? Did you steal something? No. Did you murder somebody? No. Did you watch Married at First Sight? No. Well, why are you in here for? Well, let me tell you. The whole palace guard knew that he was in chains for Christ. Everyone did. You see, under the sovereign power of God, Paul's chains of bondage unchained the gospel of Jesus. And consistently throughout the New Testament and throughout the history of the church, that's what persecution has done. It's unchained the gospel. Our sources suggest that before communism in China, in 1949, there were just under one million evangelical Christians. And then the communist regime came in and Christianity was ruthlessly oppressed. No evangelism, no public worship. Our Bibles and hymn books burnt, leaders imprisoned or killed. And so for many Christians, whispered prayer in secret or just passing little bits of the Bible on bits of paper was all that was possible. Certainly they couldn't do what we're doing tonight. Praise God we can't hang. Uh, China started to open up in the mid-90s and the expectation was that the kind of the, the weak, delicate embers of Christianity would have been stamped out. Instead, under, per, under persecution, the gospel had roared back to life. Seven million Christians an increase of 700%, right? 
That number is estimated to be a lot higher now, close to 100 million, and increasing towards 150 million by 2030. What an astounding miracle of God that is. So why did the gospel uh, advance under such circumstances? Well, this is what uh, one analyst writes. Uh, one, persecution created a focus on eternity, what God has in store uh, for those who, who love and trust in him, rather than present surroundings and circumstances. Uh, second, it created a, a passion for soul winning, soul winning to see people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And third, it created a passion for God's word. You see, when you don't have access to it, suddenly it becomes like gold. You see, the communist government could imprison Christians. The Romans could chain Paul, but they could never chain the gospel. And it's in this Paul rejoices, even though he's in prison because he put Christ and his gospel first. Uh, when you hear stories like that of Paul, the believers in China, how do you feel? Uh, encouraged? Uh, inspired? I kind of, I, I really feel like that. But maybe like me, you feel like it's a little kick up the backside, right? Too busy to serve Jesus? Worried about what people might think? Go tell that to Paul. That's what Paul's imprisonment did for Christians in his time. It inspired them. It encouraged them. Have a look at verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see, Paul's chains advanced the gospel in prison and they advanced it outside prison as well through believers like us inspired by his example. But not all who were encouraged to preach Christ outside of prison did so out of love for Paul or perhaps even love for Christ. Some preached in, in verse 15 uh, for selfish reasons, out of envy and rivalry. And verse 17, out of ambition, hoping to stir up trouble for Paul we don't know really why they were doing that. Maybe they were jealous of his popularity. It's hard to know. We don't know exactly who these people were, but we do know that they weren't teaching a different gospel. They were teaching the gospel of Christ, the true gospel. However, though their motives were self-serving, it didn't stop the gospel. Their ministry saw real fruit. And it saw fruit because God is so infinitely powerful and wise that his purposes can be served even by those who don't serve him. Reading this passage uh, caused me to reflect on some of the stories I've heard lately of breakdowns uh, in gospel preaching, high-profile uh, high churches and their failures in leadership. I won't name uh, those churches, but uh, what's been in, in common is that kind of underneath this kind of spectacular growth, this success, humanly speaking, there's been a toxic culture of bullying and abuse and a trail 
of destroyed lives. And, and kind of as you process that, you think, was it all real? Was any of it real? Was any of it of God? Or was it all a fake, a sham? Perhaps you've been in a situation or you know of situations like that. I don't know the hearts of the leaders involved. I don't know whether they were wolves in sheep's clothing or just deeply flawed people. There's plenty of them, aren't there? But what's clear, and I followed one of these stories very closely, is that the gospel fruit in some of these cases is undeniable. Story after story of people coming to Christ, people sent out on mission, of marriages healed, of freedom from addiction and transformed lives. None of that excuses the abuse and the sin. Doesn't matter how successful a church or a ministry is, you see, too often abusive leaders have been protected and victims have been neglected because a ministry has been successful. God will not tolerate that. Abuse is never justified by good fruit. But neither does the sin erase the good, the reality of the work of the gospel. And so sometimes Christ can be preached out of false motives. But God can still work to bring people to Christ. And so we mourn the sin, the hurt and the pain, but we rejoice in the work of God, the transformed lives. I imagine at times uh, in prison, Paul felt hurt and betrayed by those believers who were trying to wound him. I reckon perhaps he even felt angry. But us humans, we're capable of feeling a lot of emotions at once, sometimes conflicting ones at the same time. Paul's gospel priority meant that even in his suffering, he could still rejoice. Verse 18, have a look there with me. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's confidence here is, is really striking. He expects deliverance. Now, the deliverance uh, Paul could be talking about here could be deliverance from prison. But he could also be talking about his kind of ultimate deliverance. That's what the word used here most often means, salvation in eternity. And if that's what it means, I think it makes sense of what comes next in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. Through the prayers of the Philippians and through the power of the Spirit, Paul expects that he will persevere. 
he will stay faithful to Christ. And so even though Paul faces death, his main priority isn't escape. It's that Christ would be exalted in him whether he lives or he dies. I remember hearing the testimony once of a Nigerian brother at a gathering I was at. He shared how he and his wife were held hostage with machetes by men who really wanted to, were going to kill them because they were professing and preaching Christ. By an amazing miracle of God, they escaped. That's why he was there, telling us his story. We offered to pray for him, uh, his wife and fellow believers for protection and safety. He politely declined and said, you see, because of persecution, the gospel is spreading. So instead, he asked us to pray that he would stand firm, that the believers would stand firm, that would keep preaching the gospel and be devoted to Christ even unto death. Look, safety and protection, they're okay to pray for. They're good things to pray for. But that's not what Paul desires most. It's that he'll have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Well, Paul shares his heart more in verse 21. Listen to what he says. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Such remarkable words, aren't they, to have on your lips. Such incredible words to have engraved upon your heart. For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. May, may those words be true of us. For Paul, life is all about Jesus. It means devoted to being devoted to him, to the spread of his gospel and the welfare of his church. But death means being with Christ now, going to be with Christ immediately, to behold his face, to be bathed in his perfect love forever. And so he says in verse 23, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Often when a Christian dies, we think it's awful, a tragedy. And it is for us. Sometimes it's incredibly painful. Sometimes it's almost too painful for us to bear. But for the believer who dies, it's better by far. Because they've gone to be with Jesus no more sadness, no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears, only glory. And if they could come back just for a moment and say that, say, see us, that's what they'd say. I know you're sad. I know you miss me. 
but it's, it's better here because I'm with Jesus now. And one day you will know that too. Imagine we experience that bliss of Christ's presence now, even for just a moment. Do you reckon it would just completely transform us? How much would some of those things that we fuss over, that we fight over, how much of those would just become trivial? How much more would we live for Jesus, confident and fearless for the gospel? Well, we know that now by faith. One day we'll know that for sure by sight. Well, Paul knows that this glory awaits, yet, verse 22, he's still torn. He can kind of feel this wrestle within him as he writes this letter. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. You see, if he's the only one to consider, if it's just about him, the choice is easy, right? Death. That means being with Jesus, and that's better by far. But that's not how Paul makes decisions. He puts the gospel first. Christ's plan for him is to keep preaching the gospel to others, to keep serving others, including the Philippians. And so life is what Paul will choose. Christ's plan for him. Friends, our joy comes from what we live for. That's where Paul's joy came from. He was imprisoned and faced the very real prospect of execution. If his own welfare was most important to him, in his situation, there'd be no joy. There'd be no contentment, only misery and despair. But because he put Christ and the gospel first... He rejoiced. Brothers and sisters, Paul's not a unicorn, some made-up mythical creature. He's not a one-off. He's an example to us. He says later in chapter 3, verse 17, join together in following my example. Follow me as I follow Christ, as I put him first. Now, following Paul's example doesn't necessarily mean being an apostle, though uh, if next time you're on your morning walk, Christ comes to visit you, to commission you for service, please come and tell me or Sam, we'd love to know. Now, following Paul's example uh, may not mean suffering like him, though it may. It's certainly the experience of many Christians around the world. Regardless, it means sharing his mindset. It will mean sacrifice because we worship the same Lord and we're entrusted with the same gospel. So let's keep on serving the gospel here at St Jude's sacrificially. Serving God sacrificially here and beyond at Uni Church on the housing estates, in youth and kids ministry, on campus. Let's keep on welcoming new people, 
into God's family. There are lots of ways to put the gospel first, aren't there? It's kind of like a banner headline for our lives. Put the gospel first. Which, is there an area that it doesn't apply? Well, no. But I want to finish by just briefly exploring two areas which might be relevant for us here at Uni Church. Uh, many people here might be in a situation where they're in a dating relationship or, or maybe looking for one or at least, you know, thinking about it. Now, for most people, the deciding factor on which relationship to pursue is, is chemistry, right, and attraction. That's the main deciding factor. Now, those things are important, but there is something more important. If you're seeking to live for Christ, what's most important is finding a relationship that will help you help them serve Christ and his church. If that's your mindset, then some relationships will be wise to pursue and maybe some won't be so wise to pursue. So my encouragement to all of us is this, pursue the relationships that will help you put the gospel first and avoid the ones that do the opposite. Pursue relationships that will help you grow in godliness, that will help you serve Christ and his people, that help you be on mission, that help you look outwards and not just inwards. And that might be hard because it might mean saying no to some relationships. But that's sometimes what putting the gospel first means. And if you're in a relationship, be deliberate, be proactive about cultivating godliness, uh, about spurring each other onto mission. Don't be so focused on each other that there's no room for anything or anyone else. And many of us here are also making decisions about the trajectory of our career and our vocation. Now's the time to be praying out about, about talking with God and each other about how we can put the gospel first and God first in our vocations. Now I've heard Luke and Jane speak to the, tonight. What a great example to us and encouragement to us of devotion to Christ and the gospel. Could that be you? You should ask them tonight over dinner. Could that be you? Is God calling you into vacation, uh, into ministry here or overseas? You've heard about the sacrifice the hardship, but you've also heard about the joy of partnering with Christ and other Christians. I've seen God do amazing things. Now, that's not the only way to put the gospel first. Whatever we do, whatever vocation we're in, we should be putting Christ first. And how we do that really is a question of calling and discernment. But the question, how I should serve God in my vocation, that's a question we should all be seriously engaging with. We've developed, deliberately developed structures here to help us do that at Uni Church. Uh, in our small groups, uh, we have a ministry pathways program that, which help people explore vocational ministry. And we also have a St. Jude's traineeship program and Jacob and Bridget are part of that. 
one of the uh, kind of goals is to help people discern how God would have them serve him with their lives. Speak to me or to Sam if, or to Jacob or to Bridget if you'd like to find out more. Paul's example is inspiring. And it's also an invitation to us to take on his mindset, to pour out our lives for the one who's poured out his for us, to put Christ and his gospel first. I'm going to invite the musicians up now. They're going to lead us in a song. It's called Take My Life. This song really is a prayer that God would use all of us. He would work through all of us to serve him. If that's your prayer, if you want to make that commitment, I invite you to stand now and sing and pray with us. So please stand.